Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. Cheering crowd sound, it's concerts, concerts that made us, concerts that made us.com. On this episode, I'm joined by Kellador. We chat about her latest single, Still a Child, her career, what's important to her, and much, much more. I know you're going to love this episode. So, without further ado, let's get on with the show.
Kalador, you're very welcome to Concerts That Made Us. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. It's great to have you. It's great to have you now. We just kicked off the episode with your single, Still a Child. Would you like to tell us about it? I would love to. So this song is very near and dear to my heart because it's very personal and it's kind of about connecting with your inner child and just, you know, I guess kind of the loss of innocence to a point, right? Where we all start out as this kind of hopeful child with just a bright, bright eyed, bushy tailed, I guess you could say. And then life happens, you know, I think everybody has their storms that they weather. And so I really wanted to kind of capture that in this, that, um, you know, we're all just still kids at heart doing the best we can to weather the storms of life. Yeah, yeah. I love the whole concept of the song, though, because I often think to myself, you know, you think back to when you're a child and it's hard to pinpoint the the moment when you lost that kind of childhood innocence, you know, and that kind of, you know, when you're a child, you're dreaming about what you're going to be when you grow up and you have this, the world seems so magical almost. It's hard yeah. to know when you lose that, when you transition into an adult. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I think I saw a, a quote or a post or something one time that was like, one day you went out and played with your friends for the last time. Yeah. And that just broke my heart. I was like, that's so sad. <laughs> because I know for me, like I would go out, you know, riding bikes or just kind of playing with the neighborhood boys and you go to the park and like, it's crazy to think, yeah, one day that did just stop. But I also think that, you know, it, it, I think it kind of ebbs and flows for me, you know, just having that kind of hope and that kind of excitement for the future. I think life, the way I view it is kind of like, a Ferris wheel, you know, we all go through these cycles and it's always moving, you know, it's always going to go up or down again. And so I think that just kind of learning to embrace that cycle has helped me just go, you know what, it's okay. It'll always either get better or if it's great, I need to anticipate that things might get hard again. And that's just life. But um, yeah, that that's an interesting concept. When did we lose our childlike <laughs> yeah yeah it really is it really is and the song is kind of extra personal for you there's 12 little voices on the song as well would you like to share a bit about that oh my gosh yes so I have nieces and nephews from all of my siblings I'm the youngest of five kids if you would believe it and all of my siblings have kids and when I was writing this song, I just thought, how special would it be if I could incorporate actual children's voices? And then I was like, oh, I have 12 nieces and nephews. <laughs> so I sent a message out to all of my siblings. I asked them if they'd be willing to kind of participate in this project. And they just recorded on their phones with voice memos. And I gave them instructions and they um, sent back the vocals. I was dying at how cute they were and then we kind of went in and layered them and made a little chorus and um it's just it it really brings out i think that childlike innocence like you were saying definitely definitely and how did they react to hearing their voices on the the finished track oh my gosh so cute they have been showing their friends and um one one of my nephews in particular he's four years old and he was hearing a part of the song that I was singing. 
And he was telling my sister, he was like, oh, that's me. I'm singing. I'm famous. <laughs> and I, I think that and their childlike minds, they think that like, you know, they've made it now, which is so adorable. Um, but but I've even had like my my niece who is in middle school, you know, she ended up showing it to her friends. And I think it's really a sense of accomplishment for them. And I, I do hope that it kind of shows them and inspires them that they can do whatever they want, you know, as they grow up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's really cool and such a nice thing for you to do as well. You know, even when they grow up, they'll be able to look back on it and say, oh, my God, I done this when I was a child. You know, it's going to be there yeah. forever. Yeah, it's a good kind of diary or like a stamp in time. It's it's cute. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And children are something that's well, helping children is something that's close to your heart, isn't it? You set up a, a charity feed the soul. Yeah. So I'm doing a benefit tour that I'm calling Feed the Soul because that's really my mission with music is to make music that doesn't just merely entertain. I mean, that's great, but I really want my music to feed people's souls, to connect. I think that's what music is all about. So I've started this virtual live stream concert series where I'm partnering with various organizations to raise money for the hunger crisis. And I actually just did one with No Kid Hungry. I figured it would be really fitting given that still a child just came out to partner with an organization focused on childhood hunger in America. And what's crazy is that I grew up watching commercials about just like, hey, donate to this organization to help, you know, hunger in another country somewhere. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, right where I grew up, you know, there are, I want to say like 6 million um, children specifically that could go hungry in, in any given year. And it just, you know, it kind of breaks your heart to think about these kids. So um, I was able to do a live stream for No Kid Hungry and we raised some money. It was so such an honor to partner with them. And I will be continuing to partner with other organizations um, throughout the coming months. So stay tuned on my socials. I'm excited to continue to announce those and, and partner with these great organizations. Brilliant, brilliant. That's really admirable now that you'd actually do that. But it's funny you said that um, when you were, you know, younger, you seen these ads. We have those as well. And you made me just think of something. It seems to be all countries are more concerned with helping other countries before they help their own, you know, because we have that problem as well. There's so many homeless and homeless children in Ireland and the mm. government are sending millions you know, to other countries, you know, it's, uh, yeah. it's a bit messed up. Yeah, that's so interesting. And, you know, I think that I think people generally mean well, you know, but but I think sometimes it's the small ways that are the most impactful. And people automatically think, oh, if I go do a, a trip to, you know, have a service trip somewhere across the world, it makes them feel important. And there is important work being done. I don't want to minimize that. I think it is great and wonderful. However, I think you're right. We often overlook the problems that are happening right where we are in our own lives, in our own cities, in our own countries. And um, you know, I, I moved to L.A. about a year ago now, and I think being here in a big city where I can see the homelessness and I can see the struggle, like really right across the street, you know, there's someone that's sleeping on the ground and then there's an ins insane, expensive car that drives right by them. And there's just such a divide. And so I think that also has kind of been pivotal for me to see it a little bit more firsthand to go, wow. 
there's a lot going on right now. But what I will say about these organizations I'm working with is they have real solutions, which is really cool. And I think like the hunger crisis is something we have solutions to and we know how to respond to it. It's just a matter of getting the resources and activating the people. So that also is um, reassuring, right? <laughs> we, exactly. we can have the tools to address it. Exactly. Exactly. I can't wait to see what you do with it now in the future. And back to still a child. What was the process like from, you know, coming up with the concept of it to writing it, recording it and releasing it? I love this question because it's a fun story. So my sister had sent me a video that I took of myself. She was like cleaning out her computer and she just emailed like, hey, I found this. And I don't think I even really opened her email for months. And then I was just kind of going through my inbox and I was like, oh, what's this? Why didn't I open this? open it up. It's a video of myself literally singing to the camera. And just I could see all of my young insecurities like all over my face. But I also really related to that girl. In fact, um, on my YouTube channel, you can go see the actual video. I have kind of a clip of it up there. (laughs) So if you're curious, uh, but that kind of inspired this idea of like, looking back and reflecting on home videos in particular. And I don't know if you're this way. But for me, like, I grew up watching home videos of my family and of myself. And anytime anyone pulls those out, like it just gives you this very specific feeling. And I wanted to kind of capture that. So then, you know, as we went into the writing process, I was really reflecting on kind of my childhood and these home videos. Um, And then it, it kind of came out pretty naturally, you know, just through the writing process. And usually I am very much focused on the verses, like, in terms of a songwriter, I can write verses all day long, (laughs) but it takes time for the chorus to kind of come to me. So I had the verses done and I was trying to figure out what was like the point, what was the concept. And when still a child came to me, I was like, that's it. Like, this is it. So once we had that, um, the rest of the process was pretty seamless and it was so exciting, you know, hearing the first versions and demos of this song because I would just be dancing in the studio, just like so thrilled and excited. I could imagine. I could imagine. I love, though, that, you know, it's a really catchy kind of pop song, but you can tell instantly that it means something to you. You know, I I feel like with the majority of pop songs now, they're just made to get people to buy them, you know, get people to dance to them. There's not much meaning behind them. You know, it's very corporate and businessy, but with your song, you can tell instantly. And as we've just heard, it really does mean a lot to you. Thank you so much. I'm so happy you were able to pick up on that because I think that is something I strive for, but you never really know, you know, am I hitting the mark and how do you strike the balance between making something that is, you know, marketable and relatable? When I say marketable, I mean just relatable to people all over, but still has that element of just vulnerability and emotion. And um, I think for me too, like when I'm writing, I have to either cry or get chills when I'm writing. And if I if one of those things happens, I'm like, okay, if this resonates with me, then you know, my hope is that it can resonate with someone, you know, halfway across the world. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. The power of music after all. And yes, the next question, I love asking this because I personally feel like throughout my life, 
my memories are linked with songs. You know, it's like almost there's an album to my life and I can pick out yes. specifically songs and it'll link to a memory. So can you remember your very first musical memory? Oh, my gosh. So weirdly, I would say my first musical memories are little songs I would write by myself. Like ever since I was really little, I would just kind of make up songs. But I think, yeah, like I have a lot of memories of just kind of making up songs about like, you know, my little crush that I had in (laughs) elementary school or or those things. Um, But I will say, you know, in terms of other influences, like I can remember very clearly like Shania Twain. I talk about Shania in my song. She, my parents would play her all the time. Like I knew all of the lyrics ever since I was little. I just memorized lyrics and I knew all of the lyrics to her song. So I do remember just kind of driving or, or, you know, driving in the car with my family, walking around the house and just listening to Shania Twain and belting her music. <laughs> She's uh, I'm glad you said her. She's actually I love her. I've seen her in concert, actually. Uh, I think ah. it was 2019, just before oh. you know the pandemic. And she hasn't lost it. You know, she's still just as she was back in the 90s Incredible. when she was just after breaking onto the scene. She was unbelievable. One hell of you a know, show. I am so jealous because I have never seen her live. And when she played with Harry Styles at Coachella and I saw that, I was like, oh, like I wish I had been there. Yeah, <laughs> that was <yeah>. so iconic. <laughs> yeah, it was the ultimate, the ultimate. And as a child, was music something that was kind of around the house a lot? Was there lots of musical influences in your life growing up? Yeah, you know, my mom, she grew up doing theater and I think she was the lead in cabaret in high school. And, you know, she did a lot of that kind of stuff. So she definitely kind of gave me that performance drive. She also was the captain of the Gatorettes at the University of Florida, where she literally twirled fire batons on the football (laughs) field. Like, so incredible. (laughs) And so I think kind of that performance drive definitely came from her. Um, my dad, he like the, actually my parents were just visiting in town last week and I noticed that he sings around the house a ton. Like he just sings songs all the time. And I'm like, oh yeah, I, that happened growing up. So I don't think, um, you know, there was a lot of like musicians per se in the family, but we definitely would like sing together in the house and just, um, were constantly listening to music. So Definitely had an influence there. But, you know, I will say, I think for a long time, I didn't know I could kind of go beyond that and have music be more of a career because um, I didn't know anyone in the industry. So I always kind of viewed it as like impractical or like far fetched. And I kind of had like this wake up call of why am I limiting myself? Like, I love this. This is what I am born to do. So why wouldn't I go for it? And um, that was kind of a big pivot for me. I was just about to ask, what was the point then when you realized, you know, I'm good at this. I could actually make a go of this. I have talent. That's, um, I would say, I would say I kind of stuffed down like my, my talent, I guess, for a long time, because even though I grew up performing a lot and doing recitals and little fairs and singing with my sister and musical theater, um, 
I never really viewed myself as like super talented. Uh, my sister, she was known to have the more powerful, strong voice. And, you know, I never got the leads in the musicals. I just didn't really think I had that much to offer. But um, I think I just kind of had a turning point where I was like, you know what, I need to lean in and embrace like my strengths, my natural, like the nuances to my voice, the songwriting. And so um, I was I was writing songs just all throughout my life, but I did go to college. I studied economics and I started working in corporate America and I had kind of the perfect traditional life path. And as I would commute back and forth to work, I just was like having this itch to make music. And I think there came a point where I just like, I could not literally, I was obsessed. It was like an obsession. And I was like, I cannot just continue in this way or else I will look back and have regrets. So I think it was kind of in those moments that I decided to kind of bet on myself and go, yeah, I'm going to do this. And I, I think I'm still learning and growing. And um, there's so many amazing, talented people that I've learned to surround myself with and learn from. But um, I'm so excited. I just, I feel like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I love that. Actually, you said you had, you know, the perfect American dream. You had the job <laughs> and, you know, things like that that would make you happy. But as you said, I always say to people, you kind of need something that feeds your soul. You know, you could have the big mm. job and all the money and everything. But if you're not, if your soul isn't in it, you know, it's not going to work. Yeah, I love that. I love it because I do think as humans, we're very purpose driven creatures. And if we can just find and identify what our purpose is and and do even just small things to live out that purpose in the long run, I think that's what will make us much more fulfilled and happy. Definitely. The hard part, though, is finding out what it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you're also a model. What's it like juggling, you know, music with being a model? You know, it's actually funny because when I kind of made the decision to, okay, I'm going to take music seriously. That's when I also decided to start modeling because I wanted to really learn more about just um, not just expression with my voice, but expression with my body and my expressions and just like the branding and the creativity. Um, and I think that I kind of ebb and flow sometimes where there have been times where I've maybe put too many eggs in modeling and then my music suffers or vice versa where I'm like, you know, all in on the music and then I'm, you know, maybe not modeling as much. But I think that they do both work hand in hand because they're both very creative. Um, you know, you learn how to tell stories in different ways. And I think ultimately, you know, both have kind of like enhanced one another where um, now I feel like I can draw from skills that I've learned from both and apply it to either music or modeling. Yeah, yeah, actually, they both uh, they complement each other well. I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I never actually thought of that, you know. But they're both kind of you know in the entertainment industry. But I never actually would have made the correlation between modeling and singing. But uh, yeah, I get what you're saying. <laughs> it does make sense. Yeah, I think with modeling too, you know, a lot of people see it as like, oh, you know, you just you're just like a coat rack. You're like a hanger or clothing. Like, there's nothing to it. But it is there's a lot to it and it can be very, very artistic. So, um, you know, I, I think that once I got into it too, I realized, oh, this is like a whole thing. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. So 
I always ask this. The podcast is called Concerts That Made Us. As a concert goer, what would you say are some concerts that have made you? Wow. Okay. Um, I'm going to list, gosh, there's so many, but I'll list two. So one was the Goo Goo Dolls at Red Rocks Amphitheater. Right. Have you heard of Red Rocks Amphitheater? Have you been? I think I might have. Is it like a natural sort of amphitheater yes. of rocks? I have. Yes. Yes. So it's in, it's just outside of Denver, which is my hometown where I mainly grew up. And it is, like you said, natural rocks, just red rocks towering into the sky. The stage is down at the bottom. You can see over and you can see um, the city skyline and then there's stars and the music just reverberates around these rocks. It is incredible. And so I've been to some co- a few concerts there, but um, the Goo Goo Dolls, when I saw them, I think it was just like so epic. They're such a classic band. And um, I think that really inspired me. You know, when they're standing literally on like this rock structure, like rocking out on the guitar, I'm like, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, sounds <laughs> so that, yeah, it, it's my dream venue. So we'll get there one day. Um, but then I would say the other one would be John Bellion. Um, I went and saw him in concert and he is very much focused on a lot of just like the live sampling and the live production. And he's so talented, but he knows how to kind of work a room. And just, I think the energy of that show was just unbelievable because he knew how to kind of draw people in and it was just impressive. So, you know, it shows that I think kind of concerts that make me are the ones that have inspired me to improve my own performance and my own craft two very good picks i would love to have seen the goo goo the goo goo dolls there myself now it sounds like it was absolutely the perfect venue yes you mentioned he's a master of stagecraft what factors do you think go into making a successful you know career in music so many (laughs) i think ultimately when you're an artist you are a ceo like you are the CEO of your own business. And while yes, the art and the music, I think should be, you know, top of mind. There are so many elements that come into play in terms of, you know, how you develop the stories that you're writing, and then the stories with promoting that, and then how you connect and translate that to your fans. And really, I think it's it's a gift that you're giving to your fans as an artist. So um, to me, I think the most successful artists are the ones who can do that really well, you know, from creation to delivering it to the fan it's just constant giving and um with that you know something i'm working on is how do i improve my live shows and i started taking online dance lessons because you know i did some dance when i was younger but it's been a while and i'm like i want to be able to rock out with my fans and so just constantly trying to figure out how can i give more you know give more energy put on a better show and ultimately like i said connect with the fans how do you find, you know, interacting with fans? You know, when you're doing a concert, you know, it's all about the exchange of energy with the fans, with the audience. How do you find that? I thrive off of it. There's something that my husband actually jokes, like after I have a live show, he's like, you have the bubbles. Like you just <laughs> are on a high after you perform because I do like love kind of that exchange. But I think something I like to focus on as an artist as well is just thinking about it in terms of connecting with one individual, because if you can connect with one individual, chances are 
you can connect with more and multiple. And that's really what I think pulls people into a performance is when they feel like they're there with you and not just kind of like, you know, lost in the crowd. Um, so yeah, something I try to do is just like sharing stories and really making eye contact. And just, I think what's really um, rewarding at the end of a show is when I have fans come up and we just kind of talk and chat and we're all excited and you can really have that connection. I've never heard that now, you know, singling out one person and if you can affect them, you'll affect everyone. You remind me of something someone said to me once about audiences. It doesn't matter if there's four in the audience or 20,000 in the audience. The audience is the same. If you, you mm. know, you're there, the way you talk to them, four people should be the same way you talk to the 20,000. You know, it's the exact same. That's amazing advice. I love that. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, but I like that now. Connect with one person in the audience. It's a good one. It's something you wouldn't think of, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone has a different approach, but works for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. And from gigs you've played then, what would some of the highlights have been for you? For me, I think it's putting on a good show and just being proud of myself, knowing that I put in the preparation and the work to give what I needed to give. Because I know when I've had a really good show, it's because I've put in the time to rehearse and to, you know, practice and just prepare, you know, mentally even for it, getting in the right mindset. And so that's a highlight when I can be proud of it. But I would say also is, you know, kind of like I mentioned before, when I can have those fans that I engage with afterward, and I kind of get that, um, confirmation back that it really was something they enjoyed because that's it's it's there for them right yeah yeah exactly exactly and this one is definitely a question for the fans what's your pre-show ritual you know i've heard some people say mm. that nobody can go near them for an hour or, you know or other people are totally chilled out what's yours yeah so i try to just kind of like I'll, I'll be with people, you know, before the show, but I think it's really a whole day. It, it really starts like a week before I start to limit like my dairy intake and just really taking care of my voice. And then, um, the night before, you know, trying to get some good rest and all of that. And then the day of is when I'm really focused on trying to be present. And just trying to um, visualize myself. So throughout the day, no matter what I'm doing, I will, you know, run through my set list in my head. I'll kind of work through it. Um, but really, like, I'll pause a lot and actually try to get outside because I, I think that does wonders for my mental health. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'll, I'll go outside and kind of run through my set list, be present and actually visualize the crowd in front of me. Then, you know, when you get to the venue or the gig or whatever, you know, I'll meet with my band and make sure that they're all good to go. Um, but probably an hour to 30 minutes before I actually go on, that's when I'll go off on my own. And I will, uh, you know, warm up my voice, I'll kind of shake it out, warm up my body, um, just kind of like get the jitters out again, trying to really visualize my show and my performance. Um and that way, when I get on stage, I'm like kind of just already there, already in the mindset. And I'll let you in on a little secret. This is so embarrassing. But I, when I get nervous, I have like acid reflux. Like I start to literally gag. And 
I literally have been on stage before where I'm like having to gag right before, but as soon as it starts, I'm good. It's the weirdest (laughs) thing. It's like, as soon as the show starts, I am good to go. But I share this because I just want people to know that like, it's normal to, Mm. you know, have these things we have to work through as performers. And that, you know, even for me where I have performed my entire life, sometimes I still feel that pressure and you just have to kind of learn to accept where you're at and be present with your body. And then for me, at least once I get going, I'm like, okay, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's like TMI for you, but (laughs) no, no, not at all. Not at all. I think it actually show goes to show that, you know, no matter how many shows you've played or how big you are, you're still a person. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And what must have been a highlight when it comes to concerts is you performed at the 2022 NAM show. Would you like to tell us about that? Yes, I would love to. So for those of you who may not know what NAM is, it's like the National Association for Music Merchants. So it's a huge trade show that they do all of the uh, you know, instrument companies and sound companies and just like any person in the music industry (laughs) will go to this show so um it was it was amazing I mean I was lucky to be able to perform um not only you know one of the nights at an after party but I also was able to perform at various booths and I think it was just kind of a moment of like wow like I'm legit (laughs) because I think sometimes we all get, you know, the imposter syndrome a little bit, but I think it was an honor to be there to be performing at a music show. Um, But I will say it was a little intimidating because I was like, everyone here is a musician. Everyone here is a master (laughs) of their craft. And that really put the pressure on. But um, I was so grateful to Nam for having me. And um, yeah, it was, it was my first one and it was just so great. Brilliant, brilliant. And how did you find the reaction from the crowds? It was really good. You know, I had some really positive feedback. Um, I even had some people ask for my autograph, which was kind of a first for me as a newer artist. And I was like, oh, you want my autograph? Like, it was just so sweet. So, you know, I took some pictures with people and, you know, signed some flyers and stuff. But I think the biggest um, compliment, I guess, or feedback that I got was just that. Someone said, you know, when you're on stage, you're good at just being. And that's what resonates with people, you know, not trying to like do too much and forcing people to watch you, but just existing. And I really attribute that to just me being present and just trying to be like, you know what? This is my music. This is who I am. And here you go. I hope you like it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have to say, you sound like a performer now who's, you know, real and genuine. You know, I like it. Thank you. I think a lot of fans could probably uh, relate to you a lot. I really appreciate that. And it's easy to get caught up in this industry and just like all of the the flashing lights, I guess. And while that stuff is fun and I love that stuff, you know, I, I think it just comes back to why are you doing this? You know, are you doing it for the applause? Are you doing it because you want to prove that you're something or are you doing it because like this is what you're supposed to do and you want to share that with the world? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And we'll jump back a bit now. You released your debut single at the end of 2021. That must have been a very exciting time. 
oh, it was so exciting. It was kind of one of those things that, again, I never really dreamed would happen. Like even just being on Spotify and Apple Music and all the streaming services, like it was a big win for me because I had just never really thought that I would do that. You know, I thought, oh, I'll just write songs for my bedroom and I'll just like maybe play some stuff in my hometown. But um, I think it was really important for me to prove to myself that like, I can do this. And also I was so proud of the song Fool for the Pain. You know, I had done other demos and other things that just were not it. They were not me. They weren't how I wanted to come out of, you know, into the scene. So um, once we finished that song, I was like, hey, this is it. The timing is right. And, um, you know, here we are. <laughs> I feel like it's a stupid question now, but how was the reaction? It was really good. You know, I had some people even just I had never met. And this is my first single, you know, just kind of throwing things out there. Um, but I had some people that would send me videos of themselves listening to it from all over the country. Oh. And I was just like, that's me. Like, wow, that's so cool. <laughs> um, so that was really great. And I think really too, just like the the people even in my life and friends and just, you know, the people that supported me and allowed me to get to this point was so amazing. And um, I'm just really grateful for that support. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. And, you know, when it comes to music careers in your head, I'm sure you'd have a roadmap. What are you looking forward to? What do you want to achieve with your career? Where do you want it to go? Man, the sky's the limit, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but really, I think right now what I'm focusing on is just like putting in more of my reps to play live shows. Now that I have more music under my belt, you know, I have three songs released. I have much more coming. I have more music that's finished and we just are waiting to release. Um, I'm, I'm working towards all of this. So I feel like I finally have, you know, my set list that I'm excited about and proud of. So right now I'm just focusing on kind of improving and getting my shows better and better. And, you know, I think the ultimate goal is being able to tour and meet my fans all over the country, all over the world, and just continue to kind of give, um, but one thing I will say is like, I've been thinking a lot about living my purpose at scale, right? Like if my, pur my purpose is not, I'm, my purpose is to sell out a stadium, right? That's a mm. goal. I do have that goal, but that's not my purpose. Yeah. My purpose again is to, you know, feed people with my music and connect. And if I can just every step of the way, you know, be making these connections, then I feel like I'm on the right path, you know? So big goals, but good to stay grounded. I like it. I like it. Good, uh, good perspective. And before we move on to the last couple of questions, is there anything locked in for the rest of the year? Anything you can share that's happening? So I will mention I have more Feed the Soul virtual benefit tours coming up. My next one is September 14th. I also have another one coming up in October. So you can check out my website, kelador.com, or you can check out my socials to get, you know, updates there. Um, and that's just at Kelador Music on Instagram and at Kelador on TikTok and Twitter. So just search Kelador, <laughs> K-E-L-A-D-O-R-E. -E. Um, but I'm really excited. And really, you know, what I also like to say on these live streams is like, look, if you're only going to donate once a month, twice a year, 
you know, I, I hope that this is a cause you can get behind. And I hope this is something that you choose to donate for because none of the proceeds are going to me. It's all going to these amazing organizations. So um, come to the shows. I'll be playing some unreleased stuff on some of them. You know, there's going to be some spoilers in some of them. So um, that's going to be kind of where you get to be the first to know. Brilliant. Brilliant. Sounds great. Sounds, uh, sounds like they're going to be some great shows and I'll include all the links as well that you mentioned in the show notes. So it'll be easy for people to find. And the last couple of questions, I'm afraid everybody gets these, so you can't get off the podcast now until you answer. (laughs) If you could see any performer from history in concert for one night only, who would it be? Wow. One from history. Um, my first thought, like my first thought is Michael Jackson. Right. Because, you know, I think that he kind of paved the way for a lot and, and broke a lot of norms and industry standards and was just known to be an incredible performer, like just show stopping. Um, so I would say that would be that would be one of mine. I'm not surprised now, and I'd love that myself. He'd be on my list as well. Like, it doesn't actually, when it comes to, you know, stage shows and presence, doesn't get any better than Michael Jackson. No. (laughs) Yeah, there's a reason the man is a legend, I suppose. King of pop. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And the next one, if you could spend 24 hours in a room with any artist from history, who would it be? Oh, I know I already mentioned him, but it got it's gotta be John, John Bellion. Um he I love that he's kind of a songwriter first mm-hmm. and he also uses his production to tell stories and to enhance. And he's behind a lot of major hits, probably more than people realize, you know, Miley Cyrus, Justin Bieber, like he's written for tons of people. Um and I just think his mind is very fascinating. So I think he would be a great mentor, which is why I would love to spend, you know, 24 hours with him. Yeah, yeah, that's a great answer. Now, normally people are like, you know, I'll pick this person I idolize, like Jimi Hendrix or, you know, Elvis Presley. But I like that you actually picked someone that would be a great mentor and could teach you some of their craft. Yeah. 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 Great, great answer. Great answer. And (laughs) if there was a song that could appear on the soundtrack to your life, what would it be? Mm. from any artist anything at all or anything at all oh gosh okay i'm immediately thinking like taylor swift but there's so many of her songs (laughs) (laughs) um i want to say maybe like which of her songs maybe innocent or even like reputation (laughs) i know those are completely opposite (laughs) but they just are on my mind and i think what's cool about being a human is the duality that we all face you know we all have various parts and we're all very complex so um i would say yeah some of those songs by taylor swift innocent or reputation great ones great ones and the final one to switch it around a bit, is there something I should have asked you? Ooh, you know, I I guess 
you could have asked like, you know, what are some of the things I love outside of music? Because I do, you know, I want people to know I'm more than just my music. Obviously it's like everything to me, but um, you know, we are multidimensional people and this is focused on concerts, but I would say, yeah, just like what my interests are outside of music. Okay. Do tell, do tell. <laughs> so I can go ahead and answer. Yeah. Um, I love just, I, I guess I did kind of mention that, but, you know, going to the beach, going on hikes, I grew up in Colorado, Rocky mountains. So, you know, the mountains always have a warm, special place in my heart. And I grew up four wheeling and horseback riding and all of those wonderful things. Um, but lately I've also just really been into just like you know, hanging out, reading, doing puzzles, um, kind of boring stuff. <laughs> not at all, not at all. But yeah, great, that, great. that was a very kind of silly question, but that was the only thing I could think of because you did such a good job with the interview. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Listen, it's been an absolute blast chatting with you and I yes. genuinely look forward to seeing what you do in the future. Thank you so much. I loved being here and really appreciate you. So hope you have a great rest of your day. Couple of lovers out by the dark, hand in hand and a laugh wouldn't stop. Under what he said into her ear. Stolen touch at a table for two. That was the kind of thing that we used to do. But that was all before I knew Maybe I, maybe I, maybe I won't Cause maybe
Hi, I'm Zach, host of the Belated Binge Podcast, and I'm here to try to convince you to join us as we re-binge some of the most iconic series in recent memory that I also happen to nearly missed out on, like our current reread of the Harry Potter series, which, despite growing up through the hype, I somehow didn't read until I was in my mid-20s. That's the belated part. But now that I have, there's some of my favorite forms of entertainment, so we're going back, a chapter or two at a time, discussing world building, character motivations, plot holes, we theorize, we foreshadow, and we give away meaningless awards. That's the binge part. If you like Harry Potter and need an excuse to reread them, or just a distraction from your day job, you can listen anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't hesitate to join the discussion on the Belated Binge Podcast. Uh, please. Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. And if you're interested in signing up the Band Builder Academy, use the link in the show notes below and enter the code CONCERTS and you'll receive 10% off. So, until next time, keep rocking. Hey, hey, what are you guys still doing here? The show's over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here. Bye.